Good morning. Now, I guess it uh, seems only fair that uh, Bev and I were away when Russ spoke last, um, so it appears that they're away while I'm here speaking, so I guess that'll call us even. But um, The other thing I'd like to say is, is thank Corey for the uh, first song, The Humble Yourself in the Sight of the Lord. Uh, it ties in, I, I hope, and I think very well with, with this lesson. Um, it was uh, it, it was a song that that I had looked at, maybe even getting some of the uh, information that I wanted to present today uh, from that song. So, again, thanks. Uh, it, I, it, I, I think it really tied in very well. So, now uh, the other thing that I will uh, ask you to bear with me. Um, I've done a lot of this on the PowerPoint, and Darcy knows that uh, at work when we do PowerPoint presentations. Um, I can pop a slide up there about dairy markdowns and, and go on forever, and I've told them, I says, just when you're talking to the group, sound confident, because they'll believe you, right, the, the co-op people. Um, the problem I have with, with I want to sound confident today, but this is a lot more important than the stuff that Dar Darcy and I talk about uh, with co-op managers. So, uh, like I say, I'm, I'm going to try and take my time. Uh, I've got it on the PowerPoint. Uh, I'm going to try and get to, uh, I, I want to get to the point uh, where I can speak like uh, Corey did last time. Uh, I don't like standing in one spot myself, uh, so I'm going to work at being able to uh, wander around a little bit more in the future. So, uh, But for today, you're stuck with, with me standing here, and uh, I'll warn Dale right now, uh, another reason for the PowerPoint is I find it easier reading that screen than the words in my Bible. So it's going to look like I'm staring at you and Kathy a lot today, and, and I apologize for that as well. But uh, that's that one of the reasons for me doing that. So as you can see from the title, How Do You Love? Uh, the last two lessons that I gave, uh, I talked about the, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave us. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. So today, uh, my goal is to expand on that second commandment, um, you know, which can also be, the second commandment could also be worded as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we need to remember that when we do this, when we're treating people that way, in essence, we are showing our love for God at the same time. Now, one of the verses that, that sort of really hits home with me uh, in this regards uh, is Philippians uh, chapter 2 and verse 3, where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, as I say, that's a, to me, that's a pretty powerful verse, and, and I've got a couple others that tie in with that, I think, uh, uh, that I'd like to share as well. The next one being Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, where it says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. 
So this morning, um, I've picked out what I think are, are some good examples, uh, both positive and negative examples, of trying to put these, these three things into practice. And, and basically they are, we want to value others above ourselves. We do not want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And we do not want to seek our own good, but the good of others. So my first example is Esther. Esther put the welfare of the Israelites ahead of her own safety. And, and we've done some studying uh, in Esther recently about that, and, and, and we're familiar with, with her story. And basically, she put her life on the line for the Israelite people. Now, this, again, this is a, a, a very good example, a very positive example. Um, but really, uh, I want to start today with, I guess, uh, a little more negative example, and, and that's of Haman. Um, uh, sorry, uh, again, back to the PowerPoint. This, this was a line from Esther, right, when she says uh, in 4.16, um, talking to Mordecai and going to King Xerxes uh, to ask for the, uh, um, for the king to reverse an edict, her, her uh, line was, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So that's Esther, uh, again, taking her, almost taking her life in her hands. Now Haman, uh, again, if you've, if you've read through the story, um, wasn't necessarily the greatest of guys, and, and I'd like to start our story in uh, Esther chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Uh, it says, that night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and to read to him. It was found recorded that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. So King Xerxes, Xerxes has had the chronicles read to him. Through this, discovers that Mordecai has not been shown any appreciation uh, from the king for saving the king's life. So Xerxes, uh, if we uh, continue reading uh, the next few verses, he basically plans on asking someone to help him decide what should be done for someone that the king wishes to honor. Now, as it happens, Haman walks into the court, and Haman's there because he wants to talk to the king about having Mordecai hung. And we can read this in uh, the next few verses, 6 to 9. It says, When Haman entered, the king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would, would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor, and lead him on the horse through the city streets, 
proclaiming it before him. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. So now, sorry, again, not quite used to the PowerPoint. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for. So if you're Haman, right, and you think pretty highly of yourself, um, you automatically figure that Xerxes is going to go, and the next line is say, go have this done for yourself. I mean, Haman already has a position of a little higher power than the other officers. We're told that, told that earlier in the, in the story. Um, he's received the king's signet ring, which, uh, again, gives him a lot more power than the other nobles. So, and, and as the, the scripture said, you know, Haman thought to himself, who else could it be but me? Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. So not only is it not Haman that's going to be recognized, but it's Mordecai that Haman had just gone to the king to see about getting him hung. Now, I sorry, but I just honestly love the irony of that situation. Um, you know, again, Mordecai thinking, you know, this, this is going to all be done in my honor. Um, and, you know, Mordecai, who didn't show Haman any respect, uh, you know, I'm eventually, after, after I'm paraded around, I'm going to have him killed. So not only does that not happen, uh, but as we, uh, again, if you continue on in the story, You'll, uh, you'll learn what happens to Haman. So through this story, we have a couple of positive examples. Okay, again, we have Esther that potentially could have lost her life. Uh, but she, again, she did what she needed to to uh, help save the Israelites. Mordecai, he helped save the king's life. Uh, did that uh, and, and didn't ask for anything in return. Uh, he wasn't looking for a reward for it. And then our negative example, obviously, being uh, Haman. Uh, initially, he conspired to have all of the Jews killed. That was an edict that was uh, coming close to having to be uh, fulfilled. Um, he hated that Mordecai didn't give him the respect that he felt he deserved. And he thought, uh, again, he thought so highly of himself, yet ended up embarrassing himself in front of everyone by parading Mordecai around. So, uh, in the end... It's Haman that is hung on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Mordecai ends up in the, in the seat of power that Haman had. Uh, he receives the signet ring, and he even receives all of uh, Haman's estate. So, as I say, I think a, a, a pretty strong example of somebody that obviously thought a lot more highly of themselves than they should have. The next uh, example I'd like to uh, bring you uh, is a little more positive example um, and somebody that's uh, put themselves again, I think, ahead of others and just maybe in a little bit more of a roundabout way, but uh, we go back to Genesis 18 and uh, the Lord appears to Abraham. Um, the account begins again with the Lord appearing to Abraham as one of three visitors Abraham invites him into the tent uh, right away so 
again, showing that hospitality, uh, bringing them in, uh, not knowing who they are. God, however, plans on destroying the cities uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the people's sin, and, and we would read that in uh, Genesis 18, uh, 20, and 21. The sin is so bad, and if you uh, would like to later, uh, you can read about it in uh, Genesis 19, 4, and 5. It'll give you a bit of an idea of how um, just how awful the, the sin was in the whole city of Sodom. And Abraham understands that the Lord is going to destroy these cities uh, because of that sin, and he asks, uh, asks God to, to spare the city, right? Abraham asks, if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom, would he spare the whole city? Okay. Now, I don't know um, if I would have the courage to ask God to spare a city. Uh, you know, the, the hard part for me to, to kind of fathom is, is having a person... God or the, the representative of God standing right beside me and, and asking God, okay, you know, if, can you spare the city? Typically, we take it under, we assume that God has a plan and, and that his plan is, uh, is perfect and we should follow along with his plan. But again, Abraham, uh, he goes ahead and starts, starts asking God <coughs> if... Again, if he could uh, save the city. And we ask God, and, and I think right now in the world, there's lots of people asking God that same thing, right? With this uh, coronavirus that's going on, I'm sure there's people asking God, uh, wondering why this is all going on. You know, what is, um, what is the point? Uh, and we can probably ask God that question, uh, but we have to have that faith that, that it's happening, um, as mentioned in, in Dale's prayer, you know, we, we need to continue on, do what we can, but hold on to our faith that, that God is going to get us through this. And, and you know, who knows, uh, who knows how it will all play out, but we just have to have that faith that God is in control. So the reading that I'd like to, to kind of start in this example is in Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 to 26, where it says, The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing back before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the righteous in it? Far be it for you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the, with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not, even that word's getting long. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now Abraham doesn't give up there. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous is five less than 50? 
Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? Now, I just love the way that Abraham words that, right? It's not a matter of, okay, how about only 45, but just the lack of five people. Uh, would he destroy the whole city? And again, God agrees, right? He says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 people there. So now Abraham started at 50 righteous people. Then he asks for, again, only 45. Not only that, he eventually gets them down to 40, 30, 20. Now again, this, this is Abraham talking with God and negotiating with our creator. Uh, I'm sorry, I just I don't think I would be able to do that. I would be pretty happy with, with him just agreeing to maybe not spare it at 50. So maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but to me, this Abraham is just a, a great example of putting himself uh, out there and asking you know, God to not, not destroy the city. Uh, at some point, and I, I think all of us, uh, we can uh, maybe run out of patience. If we were God in this situation at Maybe at 30, we would have just said to Abraham, forget it, and, and maybe taken Abraham at that time. I don't know, right? Uh, again, we aren't all as patient as God, fortunately. But in the end, uh, Abraham gets him down to 10 righteous people. So now, we're not, uh, we're not told why Abraham stopped at 10, but uh, kudos to him for getting it uh, down to 50. So we have... Um, in Sodom, we've got Lot and his wife that, are, are, uh, that Abraham would be aware of. We have uh, Lot, his wife, their two daughters uh, that's uh, talked about in Genesis 19 and 8. The daughters, uh, there's two sons-in-laws that were pledged to be married. So even those, if we can get all six of those people, uh, we only need to find four righteous people in all of Sodom and, and I, I don't know how big Sodom would have been at this time, but four people, four more people doesn't sound like a whole lot. Um, and, and we know that uh, not even all of these people uh, escaped Sodom. As it says uh, uh, in verses 12 and 13 in Genesis 19, it says, The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, daughters, or sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place the outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it so again even if if those six people would have uh, been able to make it out uh, they weren't able to find four more people to save the whole city of Sodom and we know again that that the sons-in-law, uh, they, they thought Lot was just playing a hoax, playing a trick on them. Uh, they didn't escape. So Lot, uh, his wife, and the daughters did escape. Uh, they were told in verse 17, you know, run to the hills, don't look back, um, keep going. And we know in the story, unfortunately, Lot's wife did look back, right, and was turned to a pillar of salt. Now, the looking back, 
Uh, I'm sure there's another lesson in there uh, that I can do at another time. But uh, as I say, it's, the city was not spared. Um, even though Abraham was very bold uh, with negotiating to God, and to me, it shows how Abraham was thinking of others. Um, and, and not only uh, the righteous and Lot, but he was thinking of, of even the evil people at the time, not wanting them uh, to be destroyed. So those are a, a couple, I guess, of, of Old Testament examples. Uh, some good people, some bad people, um, and, and things that we need to learn and apply in our lives today. Now I'd like to, I guess, bring you a couple of uh, New Testament examples. Um, the first one uh, begins, the church has really just begun. Uh, there's many people believing in the message that the disciples have been telling. Uh, they're believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, they're living as positive examples of what Christ exemplified. And we'll start our reading in Acts 4, uh, verses 32 to 34. It says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in all of them, in them all, that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So these uh, new Christians are great examples uh, of how we need to act and how they were acting. They were putting the needs of others uh, ahead of their own needs and their own wants. Um, and as we continue on in our reading, uh, there is one person that is uh, kind of highlighted um, in regards to the example that he was. So it says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we're not told if this was all of his land. Uh, maybe he owned more. Uh, we're not sure. Um, but we do know that he, the money that he did get from the sale of this land he brought it all to the church willingly. And we're not told of any fanfare for doing this. We don't know that there was any, again, any special occasion. Uh, he wasn't brought up to the necessarily the front, and there's no you know, backslapping and, and thanking Joseph for this wonderful donation. Um, but it was just something that, that he had done. And as we continue on in chapter 5, uh, we'll understand and we'll be able to see that uh, Joseph uh, didn't hold back any of the funds from the sale, although it's not spelled out specifically in, in these two verses. But we, as we continue on, we will see that everything was given. His gift, and like the gift of the other members, was a gift from the heart, a giving back a part of what God has blessed them with. And just like Michael uh, explained today uh, at the table, our giving. We're, we're just giving back a portion of what God has blessed us with. And I think uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 uh, just says it so well. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So now, uh, 
the couple that uh, there's a couple in chapter five that sells land uh, and donates uh, the proceeds from this uh, sale to the apostles. It's uh, Ananias and Sapphira, and we'll start their story uh, in chapter five, verse one and two. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And from the slide up there, you can kind of see there's a, a big bag, I think that, I'm not sure if that's the one that they're donating and they're keeping the smaller bag that he's got in his hand or vice versa. But either way, they've decided that they're going to keep a portion uh, of what they've sold. Which, there's nothing wrong with doing that, right? Um, that the act in and of itself is very good. Selling the property, donating the funds is very generous. And I'm sure the church would have been very appreciative of the gesture. So it's important that we remember that giving to the church is not a bad thing. The problem with uh, Ananias and Sapphira is that they're telling the apostles and, and the rest of the uh, Christians uh, that they're donating all of the funds from the sale of this property. And their lie is exposed uh, as we continue on. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. So like Peter has said in these verses, it, it was their money to do with as they pleased. Had Ananias simply said that they had sold their land, and, and here is some of the money from the sale of it, everything would have, been, would have carried on as normal. Uh, they would have gotten, a, I'm sure, gotten a thank you for their donation. Um, but they, again, they could have donated whatever proceeds they wanted to. But because Ananias lied, saying that they gave all of the money uh, to the church, this is what happens. It says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. So it's not the gift that Ananias lost his life over. It was the lie to God that cost him to lose his life. Now it may seem extreme that he was struck down dead, but if this action wasn't punished, what would these new Christians think? Is dishonesty okay? Can the Holy Spirit be deceived? Can God be deceived? Now it's a bit of being, I guess, scared straight for these new Christians. But it should be a reminder to us as well that we can't hide our thoughts or our actions from God. And as we continue on in the story, we see that Sapphira comes along to the apostles and Peter questions her. It says, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could, you, <clears throat> how could you conspire to tell the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet dead. 
Then the young men came in, and, and finding her dead, carried her out, and, man, those letters are small. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So, again, it's, it's not the gift that was the problem. It was that Ananias and Sapphira had lied about their donation, and really all they wanted was the recognition from their fellow believers. And they would have received the recognition from any donation, but their pride is what got in the way. And again, it's easy to see how fear could seize the church, but at the same time, it should be encouragement to know that God is just and fair. Now I'd like to go, I guess, to uh, what I think is probably one of the, the best examples uh, of how we should act towards others and, and humble ourselves uh, to serve others uh, from the reading that Al gave us in John 13, 1 through 5. It was just before Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This would be the advantage of walking around in front, then I could look up at the big screens. So one day I will get there. Now, I have to admit, um, there was something that, that kind of jumped out at me more this time um, than the previous times that I've read this verse. Jesus had unlimited power. He was supreme. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Now, again, that's, that's hard, to, hard to imagine, uh, the power that Christ had. Uh, but we know from, from Scripture, he is the most powerful being on earth. Uh, shortly he'll be arrested, and, and he says, if it was necessary, I could call 12 legions of angels uh, to come and help him. Uh, and, and again, with this power, couldn't Jesus have just snapped his fingers and the disciples' feet been washed? Uh, some of you may remember the, the show Bewitched, where Samantha kind of twinkled her nose and, and, and things would happen. Couldn't Jesus have just done that, right? He's, he's got the power. He, he healed people without even touching them. So I'm sure washing feet wouldn't have been a stretch for him either. He was the leader of these disciples, right? Uh, he probably could have just asked one of them uh, to do that, and, and I'm sure they would have obliged. But that's not what this is about, okay? It's about each one of us being able to serve others, and, and back to the, my, I guess my original point, to think of others better than ourselves. And to do these tasks without seeking any acknowledgement or with the attitude that if I do something for you, what are you going to do for me? Now imagine, I guess, imagine the town of Carmen. 
What would that look like if people did that? And, and I think most of the people in Carmen are, are pretty good people now. But just imagine if it was taken up to this level. Okay? Now we, we move out from Carmen and, and include the RM of Dufferin. What does it look like for all of those people if, if we follow this example? And then as we spread out further to southern Manitoba, what does it look like? I think you get the idea of where I'm going with this. Imagine a world that would operate this way. You know, where people were more con concerned, or at least as concerned, about others as we are about ourselves. Keep that thought in the back of your mind as we continue on in John. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew was going to betray him, and that was why he had not said everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Now, this can be uh, an extremely hard uh, trait to try and emulate and something that can take a long time to only slightly get good at. But it's important to understand that Jesus knows Judas will betray him and starts Christ on his path to death on the cross. Yet Jesus washes Judas's feet the same as all of the others. Now if it was me, and maybe you, and you're washing Judas's feet, and you know this, wouldn't you maybe want to squeeze those toes a little harder? Um, you know, that, that soft spot in the bottom of your foot wouldn't there be that temptation to maybe, you know, give it a pretty hard squeeze and, and maybe try and cause him a little bit of pain, knowing the pain that you're going to have to go through? But I, I don't think that's what Jesus did. And as I say, it can be extremely difficult and, and, not, uh, and this isn't something that we can accomplish on our own, getting to this point where we can um, do that to others. We need to call on God to help us to grow through this process and know that this ability, uh, I guess to metaphorically, wash the feet of those that have sinned against us is not going to happen overnight. But hopefully, with time and God, we can get to that point. As we continue on, it says, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set, for, set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Wouldn't it be easier if verse 15 wasn't there? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I don't know about you, but that one can be pretty hard to follow. But it's in there, and we know that this is the word of God. We are told to do it. We have no choice. We have to emulate Christ and follow his example, just as he has gone and done for for his disciples. The disciples were certainly not greater than Jesus, yet when he... uh, Yet he just finishes washing all of their feet. And we are not greater than Christ either. And Christ has never put himself ahead of his father. He often talks to the people how he is just the messenger for God. Bringing mankind the good news. The good news and the way to salvation. Now fortunately, I guess verse 17 should be a great motivator for us. To follow that example that Jesus has set. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What more incentive should we need than knowing our God will bless us if we follow his example in everything that we do? There can be no higher compliment or praise than being blessed by our Heavenly Father.